Amen. That was a great song, choir, by the way. You did a great job on that. I thought the piano player was awesome in that song. (laughs) I think every note was, I mean, heavenly. It just... But anyway, what a great job. That sounded uh, very, very nice. Wonderful. We'll look forward to hearing that on Christmas morning. We'll look forward to that. That'll be great. We're going to have a great service on Christmas, the 25th, 11 o'clock here in the main service. We're looking forward to that, and uh, so we're excited about that. Also, um, we do have some things coming up in the church. Obviously, uh, we have the signing of the carousel coming up this coming, uh, not this Tuesday, but a week from Tuesday or Wednesday. We're not exactly sure. I don't think we have an exact date, but it's either going to be on the 20th or 21st. It's one of the two days. Tuesday or Wednesday. So we'll look forward to that, and uh, then that'll all kind of begin to move in a certain another direction as we uh, get into the buildings a little bit more, and we're able to actually look around and not be under such time restraints and just kind of start to pray there and do some things there a little bit differently. So we're excited about that as well. we uh, got quite a bit going on uh, as we end the year here, as we prepare for the new year. So be in prayer as that the Lord would give us wisdom and I met with the trustees the other day. We kind of went through the budget and got everything in order. We'll be presenting that budget at the end of the month on the 28th. Since we have uh, Christmas on uh, Sunday, we have the New Year's on a Sunday. We're going to go ahead and uh, put it on a Wednesday night. We'll just end at 8 o'clock and be done by 8.30 here, and we'll do it on the 28th. It'll be the last Wednesday of the year. And, uh, of course, uh, it's a little bit different. We like to and prefer to do it on a Sunday night, but it just uh, it's not going to work out too well. But it looks like we've got... Everything in order. It looks like we're ready to move forward. And it's just a matter of take, bringing the budget to you and approving it. And uh, so we'll be doing that on the 28th. So uh, we'll, we'll once again look forward to another step toward the new year. And then as uh, Brother Hamilton said, we certainly want to remember that on the 1st of January, we're going to be having our vision night. And uh, I'm going to start moving vision nights to the first Sunday in New Year's uh, of the new year. And it just happened that we're not having a... Uh, uh, a, a New Year's Eve service this year because it does uh, fall on a Saturday night, which would take us into Sunday morning. And we just felt that in the long run, uh, seeing it's uh, uh, working out that way, it might just be beneficial to take a break and then come back strong as ever the next year. And so we're looking forward to that. But then the vision nights will be on the first Sunday night of every year now. And then that way they're not kind of uh, trying to be squeezed into a program that's more of a... Uh, I guess, relaxed atmosphere as a whole, uh, other than that first hour or two. So we, we certainly are, uh, we got a few things along the way that will be changing, but we're, we're excited about what God has in store for us as a church. And, uh, boy, I received a, uh, somebody passed, handed this to me this morning. Uh, it was in the USA Today. In the USA Today, it says, uh, Ak- it says, Ohio, Akron, the former Carousel Dinner Theater has been sold to Community Baptist Temple of Lakemore for 700000 the esteemed and most wonderful pastor, Pastor O'Donnell. <laughs> okay, so maybe that part they left out. But uh, it says the 31,000 square foot building, and of course we know that's just space. It doesn't include the upstairs or anything. And it's kind of exciting, so, you know. Uh, that'll allow the church to seat twice as many people as it does at its current location. They don't realize it, but Baptists will at least squeeze in three times that many. 
and uh, we'll easily be able to get there. But uh, it's pretty exciting. I mean, USA Today, we made the national news, you know. Isn't that something? So that's pretty cool, you know. That's pretty cool. So we're, we're making headlines. We just got to continue to make them. We need to make headlines in heaven, amen. And, uh, you know, the Bible says every time someone's saved, the angels, uh, you know, there's rejoicing in heaven. And I think the rejoicing comes from the midst of the angels. I think it's the Lord Jesus himself. But uh, he's pretty happy. So we want to make some big headlines in heaven. And uh, so we need to win as many as we can, do our best to reach this city for the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, well, listen, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Luke tonight. Luke chapter 6. This is something for you, just very brief, simple. Luke chapter 6. I don't think the choir will ever know how important it is what they do on Sunday nights and Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. I, 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 I can't tell you how it prepares not only the hearts of the people, but it begins to prepare the heart of the pastor. And so that's such a blessing. And tonight just was a, a joy and just really set the stage and the tone of our service. And I think there were a lot of people that said, wow, that sounds like Christmas, doesn't it? And it sounds like the Lord Jesus at Christmas. And and boy, just reflected positively on the Lord. We appreciate that choir. Great job tonight. Um, let's go ahead and begin reading in verse 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 6. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might find an occasion against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. This matter of the Sabbath had become an ongoing saga. Just a little earlier... The Lord Jesus Christ had been speaking with the religious leaders about how David had entered into the temple and how he had partook of the shewbread. He would go on to fight this battle concerning the Sabbath over and over again. The religious leaders just could not get past it. Somehow they thought that by healing or helping someone, he was breaking the law. The truth was they as the Bible says, just sought an occasion against the Lord. They wanted any reason they could find to somehow discredit Him and even destroy Him. Jesus would ultimately go on to say that man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. We're not going to withhold good simply because we're not permitted to work or because we're told that we're to take a rest the rest was for the man. It wasn't for God. And in this particular case, we have a man with a withered hand. I don't necessarily know exactly what that means. I just have to believe that it means his hand was withered. 
I don't know that we need to go back to the Greek or the Hebrew or anything else. I think we understand that it meant that his hand was unusable. It meant that it looked deformed. It meant that it wasn't, as we would call, quote, normal, unquote. A withered hand. Now, a withered hand in those days was a big problem. You know, today we have, you know, handicap accessible this and handicap accessible that. And, man, you don't need a right hand to open door. You can use your left hand. And, you know, now they got revolving doors and everything else. I mean, there's just a, a number of things that have changed in our culture and our society. And I, I personally think it's a good thing. I, I think it's nice. I, I don't have a problem putting in a, a bathroom that's handicap accessible. I don't have a problem that you have to have means by which to get to another level. I don't necessarily think that you should have to put in just elevators, but, you know, I mean, there's ways and there's means and there's uh, other uh, sources to get that done. I think it's good. I think it would be horrible to be handicapped, unable to get out, unable to do anything, unable to just involve yourself in the affairs and the activities of life. So I think that's a wonderful thing. But in those days, they did not have those things. I mean, this man with a withered hand, it was very unlikely that he even had a job. It was probably that he didn't work. It was probably that he pretty much had to somewhat depend on other people or beg even for a living. But as he sits here now in the, in the temple, the synagogue, if you will, Jesus Christ shows up. And there he, he cries out to the man. He sees and notes him. And you know, Jesus Christ was a man of great compassion. And when he saw the man with the withered hand, he couldn't help but have his heart go out to him. And, and there something just kind of kind of gnawed at him. And he said, you've got to do something. I mean, this man needs help. And somebody's got to step up. And I have the power and I have the means and I have the ability to do it. I'm going to do it. And he looks at the man and before we know it, he's instructing him. We could talk about Jesus. We could talk about the leaders but tonight I just want to, I guess I just want to note a few of the characteristics of this man with the withered hand. A few of the characteristics that stand out in my mind and ultimately lead him to healing. And so tonight let's take a few moments and just note four characteristics this man with a withered hand. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us now and help us. Father, life is a reflection of you. Lord, we can look at life and we can take you out of the picture, but as we said this morning, if no, there's no God, there's no hope. But thankfully, we have you. Tonight, as we gather here, many of these uh, had been busy praying this week and, and studying their Bible and reading and, Father, reaching out to people, whether it be through tracts being passed out or just opening their Bibles and witnessing or maybe inviting others to church. Some have been busy down in the Sunday schools this morning and maybe have been practicing in the choirs and, Lord, running the buses and working in the nurseries and helping with the ushering and doing all the greeting. Lord, the music program and just every aspect of our services, Lord, people have been involved. And Lord, now, although they are not totally incapacitated, Lord, there's a weariness sometimes that seems to grip our bodies and even our minds and our souls. Today, Lord, we're asking you to meet with us. For Father, we desperately need you. 
May you, Father, gird us up and strengthen us. And may you, Father, do a work in our life that will not soon be forgotten. May we be different for having come tonight. Fill us with your Spirit. May you manifest yourself mightily in the midst. And Father, may we know that there's a God in heaven tonight. That he's the God of all living. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. This man with the withered hand had some characteristics and some qualities that I believe are very important in the life of both the lost and the saved alike. First of all, he was unashamed. He was unashamed. You see, in verse 8, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with, which had the withered hand, he said, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. You say, Well, that's not that big a deal, but what if I asked you right now to. Stand up. Right in the midst. I mean, no, not back in the corner, not, not hidden away from everyone. I'm talking about, as he says, rise up and stand forth in the midst. What he was saying was, go ahead and stand up where you're at. Come on over here. Get right there. Come on, right here. Come on over here, right there. Get right in the middle of us all. I want everybody to be able to see what's going to happen here. I want you to be the, 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 the focus of all this congregation. How would you feel? Some of you would probably like it. You'd be like, oh, good. I get all dressed up just for this occasion. I mean, you might like it. Now, I hope you wouldn't like it that much, but the truth is is that most people would be a little bit funny about it. But then on the other hand, let's just go ahead and say that you have a withered hand. Not only are you just one of the folks in the crowd, not only are you just a normal attender of the synagogue, but you happen to be one of those people that has a very obvious defect. Oh, I mean, you've been there a number of times before. They know who you are, and you don't really like how you look. You feel ashamed of your body. You feel a little bit kind of... Rise up. Come right on into the center here. Let everybody see you and that withered hand of yours. I don't know about you, but when I know there's something, if i got a big pimple on my face, I really don't like to stand in front of the crowd. If, you know, if i got, if I, if I just got a black eye from my wife, and I've been fortunate, I've been ducking those blows lately. I don't want to stand up and, and be recognized and everybody goes, well, what's wrong with him, man? Look at that old shiner on his eye. And, and especially when there's some outstanding physical attribute or something that would draw attention, something that I'm a little bit shy about and kind of withdrawn about and to have to stand and be looked at and everyone see it. It'd be like having to take all my clothes off and stand in the middle of this crowd. How scary. I would be like mortified. And so would you. But you know what? That's what Jesus was saying to this man. I mean, he's got a withered hand and he's, he's a nobody in his own mind, I'm sure. And here he is being told in the midst of this congregation, this multitude, he says, listen, you rise up and you stand right in the midst. He's probably going, are you kidding me? But the Bible goes on to say, and he arose and stood forth. He was unashamed. Unashamed. 
In Romans chapter 9, verse 33, the Bible says, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You know, the day that you and I got saved, we had to come to the place where we were unashamed. You know, sometimes we try to make it too easy on the lost. Well, I don't want to embarrass them. Well, I, I, I started talking to them, and, and, you know, we were in a restaurant, and, I mean, I could tell everybody was looking, and I know they were uncomfortable. Were they or you? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're all in the same boat together here. But let's at least be honest. Why do we try to pretend that we're not what we that we're not something that we are? I mean, we know in our heart at times, if we're not careful, we can be ashamed even of the very gospel that saved our soul. We can be ashamed even sometimes of the, the, the same Savior that, that rescued us from our sin. But this man was unashamed. He was flawed. And yet he said, That's fine. Lord, you telling me to come? I'm coming, buddy. I'm doing it. In Romans 10, 11, the Bible says, For the Scripture said, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We get in a service like this, and sometimes, you know, we, at the end we have the altar call as usual, but the, the, the conviction of God may work in your life, and maybe you're lost tonight, and, and, and while the conviction starts, there's a fear that wells up within you also. And you think to yourself, I know the Lord's calling me, but I don't want to walk that aisle. I don't want to get in front of all those people. I'd be embarrassed. I don't want everybody looking at me. They'll think I'm a sinner. They'll think there's a flaw. They'll think there's a problem with me. I won't walk that aisle. And maybe you're lost, or maybe you're saved, and you think the same thing. There's a real good characteristic that this man with a withered hand had, and one of them was he was unashamed. He just obeyed God. Jesus went to Calvary and He endured the shame for you and I. The least we could do is the same for Him. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, the Bible says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Man, can you imagine? I mean, I don't even like to think about that in retrospect or in light of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever had someone spit in your face. But it is humiliating. It's humiliating. I've had that happen to me before. It's humiliating. Jesus said, He hid not His back from the smiters, but He hid not His face from shame and spitting. He willingly took your shame, my shame, upon Himself. And yet, let's just be honest. If we're not careful, we're ashamed to even invite somebody to church sometimes. Because they'll think somehow we're one of them Jesus freaks or something. That's an old term, isn't it? That's dating some of you. I looked it up on the internet. 
Okay, I've heard it a few times. Not only was he unashamed, but number two, he was unafraid. It goes on to say, he says, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto him, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. You say, well, what's so scary about that? He's already in front of everybody. I think it would be kind of scary. I'd be a little afraid. I, I mean, to me it seems like a scary prospect after being withered so long. I mean, this is all he knew. I mean, how would his life change now? Some of you young people have been students for maybe upwards of 18 years. And although there's an exhilaration, there's an excitement about graduating high school, there's also often a feeling of apprehension that accompanies it. Why is that? It's because you know in your heart things will never be the same. They'll be forever different. It's kind of scary in a way. Change has a tendency to make us afraid. What new challenges will I face? Where will this take me? Where will I end up? Will I be okay? What's going to happen to all my friends? I mean, there's an apprehension that accompanies this. And you know, I've got to believe that when, when the, the, withered, the man with the withered hand was called forward, it certainly was concerning to him. And he, he was unashamed, though. And then when he got up there, he says, stretch forth thine hand. And he thinks, I've heard about this one. This is that Jesus. Okay, I could look like a fool if it doesn't work. If I raise my hand and it doesn't work, then I'm really looking stupid here. Oh, you're, you believed him. You believed, you believed him. You're so stupid. Or maybe he'll actually heal my withered hand. And then what? I mean, I've been depending on people and I've got a thing going here and, and I know it's not real pleasant and I know I've always thought about what it would be like not to have a withered hand, but then on the other hand, I mean, I'd have to get a job and I'll have to work and my whole life will change. And i got to believe it could have been a scary prospect. But he was unafraid. You've worked the same job, been at the same location for 10, 15, 20 years, and now, all of a sudden, there's a possibility that the plan will close and you'll be moving. That might be kind of scary, that kind of change. But what do you think the man with the withered hand thought for a moment? Oh, I know it would have been quick and easy for us to just think, oh, that'd be fine, there's nothing to that. Oh, that's a simple one. Here, heal it. First of all, it could have looked dumb. It didn't work. And number two, there's a part of him probably going, wow, okay, but what's going to happen next if that does work? And you know to know something? You know why most people, it seems to me, never get saved if they don't? They're afraid of the change that it will require in their life. 
they're so afraid. I mean, here they are. They're defective. They've got sin reigning in their heart. They have no other, no other direction and no other destination than hell itself. And Jesus comes to the plate and cries out to them and says, Stand forth, come in the midst. And they go, Well, I got the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I'm going to go ahead and I think I'll try it. But then fear grips their heart and they say, But I don't want to walk that aisle. I don't want everybody to see me. And what's going to happen if I do get saved? I know how that stuff works. I've heard the preacher preaching. I've watched some of those people that are saved. They don't go drinking. And they don't listen to bad music. And they don't talk dirty. And they don't do all those things that the world does and that I've been doing. I don't know. I'm afraid to give it up because I don't know where it will take me. He was unafraid. He was unafraid. Paul speaks to King Agrippa and he says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. you got to wonder what it was that kept him from coming to Christ. If I had to guess, it probably was the prospect of political suicide. It would have been social homicide. And who knows, just the thought of the personal sacrifice that it would have meant. I mean, what would happen to my... My status in the community. What would people think about me? And and how would it affect my job and my future? How would it affect my family? I mean, almost. I know what I need to do. I know who I need in my life. But I'm afraid. And more than likely, it was fear that sent Agrippa to hell. Not only was he unashamed and unafraid, but number three, he was unhesitant. This man with a withered hand, he exhibited unquestioned obedience. I mean, when the Lord cried out, rise up and stand forth in the midst, he arose and stood forth. When he said, stretch forth thy hand, the Bible tells us, and he did so. I wonder, have you ever hesitated upon hearing the voice of God? When you've read that scripture, that truth that addressed your personal issue, lent itself to direction, leadership in your life, you had no doubt that it was God that had revealed it. But instead of immediately obeying, you hesitated. You ever hesitated when God spoke? 
I have. You know, the Lord Jesus says, pass out that track. Mm. Mm. I didn't just hear that. I'm, oh, oh, they are leaving now, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I was going to get to it. Hesitated? I wonder. And please, I think weird. I'm, I'm different than some. But I wonder what he's been going through in his life. I wonder what awaits him at his home that night. I wonder where he ends up that evening if he makes it through the night without taking his own life. I wonder these things. Am I always obedient? Am I always unhesitant? Sad to say that there are times I'm... I am. That doesn't excuse it. Just to admit it doesn't excuse it. Just because someone else is hesitant doesn't make it right for me to be hesitant. The man with the withered hand today rejoices in the midst of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was obedient and he was obedient immediately. He was unhesitant. We've got to get to the place in our life where when the voice of God speaks, we don't ask a question. We don't start, well, that must be my own feelings. That must just be me talking to myself. What are you talking about? You know if it's God or not. We've got to make our mind up immediately and say, already I know one thing for sure. Long before the pastor preaches, long before I read my Bible, long before I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, I will obey. Until we make that decision in our life. Until we make it ahead of time. You do not decide to be faithful to your wife every time you meet a woman. You make that decision at that altar. Because if you try to make it every time you're confronted with temptation, you will fail. And too many Christians live their life like it's a smorgasbord of choices. It's a buffet of decisions. It's not. Make the decision to be obedient to Christ wherever and whenever He speaks. It would do us all well if that decision has not been made to make it before you leave tonight. And I'd encourage you to make it in an altar so it's remembered. And if you've made that decision and you've found yourself slipping, you need to make it again and with God's help keep that promise. Unhesitant, unquestioned obedience. James one twenty two says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. He was unashamed, unafraid, and unhesitant. And finally, he was unmarred.
But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. Unmarred. Good things happen when we obey unhesitantly. Good things happen when we are unafraid. Good things happen when we are unashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this case, His hand was restored. Every last one of us are marred by sin. Every last one of us bear the marks of sin in our own bodies. The sin of Adam. There came a day in your life and in mine, if you're saved, that the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and maybe even the man of God, said, rise up. Stand forth in the midst. And you said, Yes, sir. And then he said, Stretch forth thine hand. And you said, Yes, sir. And you were restored whole. You realize that every unsaved man and woman is incomplete? The Bible says that we're tripartite beings. We're created in the very, from the very mold of God our Father. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, tripartite. And that which He created is also in that same likeness. We're all tripartite. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit. But before a man or woman comes to Jesus Christ, the Spirit is dead. It's not alive unto God. Oh, he or she still has a Spirit. But that Spirit is dead. That's why one can interact with the dark side. That's why one can play around with spirits and demons And that's what spirits are, by the way. They're not grandma, grandpa. They're not aunt or uncle or brother or sister or mom or dad. They are demons. Don't dabble in that stuff. Don't play with Ouija boards or tarot cards and don't go to the lady up the street and have your palm read. That's why there's still communication between the dark side and the spirit of man. Because there is a spirit. The problem is, the spirit's dead to God. The connection hasn't been made yet. I recently got a phone and that phone, I remember when they they tried to hook it up. I mean, I had the physical phone in my hand. I had the phone right there. Everything was working on the phone. But there was no connection. 
They tried everything. I mean, I was there for hours trying to get this phone to connect to my service. They couldn't get it to connect. No matter what they did. This person tried it. This person tried it. They talked to the, my carrier. They, they interacted back and forth. They made all kinds of adjustments. They did everything they could. Nothing seemed to work. The bottom line was, I had the tools. They just weren't connected. You want to know something? You have all three parts. It's just not all connected yet until you get saved. And once you get saved, the connection between heaven or the Lord God of heaven and you is finally completed. Once you get saved. Now your body is your body, your soul is your soul, and your spirit is in communication and connected with God now. You're made whole. And the Lord Jesus Christ Himself then moves into your life, filling the void that exists without God. Now He lives in you. Complete, whole. Tonight, maybe you need to be made whole. It's possible that you're here tonight and you do not know this Jesus the way you should. Oh, you know about Him, but I mean... You do not have a personal relationship with Him. You don't know Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, I know He's the Savior of the world. But is He your Savior? I have, I believe, what is it, a Chevy Cadillac? Is it Cadillac? It's actually Cadillac. It's a Chevy product. But Chevy makes cars for everybody. Everybody. Oh, I know about Chevy. GMC. I know about all these different Ford. Man, it's when I actually have one from them. And when I have a piece of them, it makes a difference. Then all of a sudden I get to A and B and I can stay warm in the winter instead of walking through the snow. But just knowing something about a company or just knowing something even about a God doesn't mean that we have an actual connection to Him. doesn't mean that He actually benefits us in any way. He's the Savior of the world, but that means nothing to you unless He's your Savior. And I don't care if everybody in the room has a Chevy, but until I got one, it means nothing to me. You need Christ today. You need Him like I needed Him. You need Him like... The man in the story needed him. Today he's saying, rise up. Stand forth. When he says, stretch forth thine hand, he's saying, you come on out to this altar. You let me show you who I am, he says. And what I'll do. And He'll make you whole if you'll let Him. Or maybe you're a child of God and you've just been a little bit ashamed of the Lord lately. Maybe you've been a little afraid of people and things and circumstances and situations in your life. Maybe you're afraid of the future or the unknown. When the Lord speaks, will you just obey?
Or will you hesitate? Maybe you just need to say, I'll obey unhesitantly, immediately. Tonight, maybe we just need to embrace some of these characteristics that the man with the withered hand had. Because see, in the end, if we'll embrace those characteristics, we'll also benefit as he benefited. Unmarred, complete, made whole. Father, we come to you tonight. Thank you again for just the opportunity that we've had to gather tonight. And Lord, a simple, simple little lesson or message. Father,